Glory to Jesus Christ. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. This morning we have reached the last Sunday of Great Lent. We have this next week as the last week of Lent, and then we have a respite with Lazarus Saturday, a festive occasion, Sunday, Palm Sunday, the triumphant entry of our Lord into Jerusalem. For this Sunday, we have before us the example of St. Mary of Egypt, who, if you've ever seen her in the icon, she always looks a little worse for the wear. As you can see, some bones, you can see white hair, you can see someone who looks withered away. This morning in the Gospel, it's appointed for St. Mary. We're at a festive occasion, we're at a banquet, a Pharisee's house. And this Pharisee has an interest in Jesus. He's invited Jesus to his home. And while they're sitting and dining, this woman comes in. Maybe that was his way of honking, I don't know. This woman comes in while Jesus is at the table. She sees our Lord and she pulls out a flask and you can probably see the Pharisee starting to wonder what in the world is going on. Tears start coming down her face and you can probably imagine the Pharisee going, what is really going on here? This woman, in fact, I recognize her. I know who this is. In fact, she's infamous for her sins. And here she is crashing my party. She's got some oil out. Oh, now she's at my guest's feet. She's bathing his feet with tears. Oh no, now she's got her hair and she's using her hair to wipe his feet. What is, okay, I guess she's going to use the oil to clean up what she's done and finish. And the Pharisee thinks to himself, okay, I thought this man, Jesus, you know, I thought he was a prophet. I've heard about him. He would know who this woman is if he's a prophet, where she's been, what she's done, and how unclean she is, and she's touching him. You can just feel probably he's got the icky factor going on. Judgment is just pouring out of him. This woman has crashed his party, has explained excess emotions. You know, this isn't the place or the time for this. And she's wept on my guest's feet used her hair to wipe it up, and then anointed it with oil. Now, he hasn't said anything like this, although I'm sure, as all of us know, our body language tells much. <laughs> I'm sure our Lord here is looking at Simon saying, he can see judgment just washing across his face. And he says to Simon the Pharisee, I have something to say to you. So he said, say it, teacher. And he tells him a parable about a creditor with two debtors. 
one who owed 500 denarii, the other 50. When they had nothing to repay, he forgave both of them. And which, our Lord asked Simon, which of them will love him more for what he has forgiven them? Well, Simon, because he's got the right answers, he says, well, you know, probably the one who forgave him the most. And Jesus said, you have rightly judged. Then he turned to the woman. Let's think about Simon a little bit more. I've already started to sketch out what the gospel presents to us. But Simon the Pharisee, he displays interest in Jesus. It's not like he's the other Pharisees who are ready to trap him. Maybe that was at the end of the party that he was ready to trap Jesus and start having a debate with him. He's put on a, a feast. Jesus is the honored guest. He wants to know. He has inklings of the idea that Jesus is a prophet. And he wants to know more. But at the same time, Simon inside is kind of as much as he's brought Jesus into his home. He's skeptical. He's distant. He's, he's not fully committed. He doesn't really know exactly how to judge Jesus or maybe how to fully commit to Jesus. They're at a festive banquet. There's probably lots of interesting discussion going on. Maybe Simon and our Lord had a very fascinating theological discussion. Maybe they had some speculation about theology. There's something about Simon that is interested, that he's ready to put on a feast. But he wants to engage with Jesus, I think, at a comfortable distance. You, Jesus, I want to hear you out, but let's have you over there. Now let's move and look at the woman. Someone who is a known sinner. She has heard about Jesus as Simon has heard. And she doesn't have probably a house to put on a really nice party. But she finds out where the party is at. And more than likely, she's not been invited she crashes this party. Can you imagine the courage that it would take to crash a party of a well-known Pharisee with you as we are led to just kind of fill in the blank as a known sinner in the city? She's prepared herself. It wasn't just a split kind of emotional reaction that she just kind of, okay, this is what I'm going to do. She has oil with her. She has a plan. And you can see her there at the party. She doesn't say anything to anyone. She's not there to have discussions. She's not there to figure out Jesus. She just weeps. She washes his feet with her tears and she uses her own hair to clean her feet, his feet. She venerates his feet. She kisses his feet. And she washes them with oil. There's a chasm between Simon the Pharisee and this woman, a known sinner. What is the great chasm between the Pharisee and this woman? 
One, pretty obviously, is the level of commitment, the level of engagement, the level of ready to completely embrace. Simon the Pharisee has put on a party, he's put on a show, he's put on uh, what he's supposed to do, at least some of the trappings of it. He's there to learn, he's there to intellectually engage, but he's reserved for himself his own space, his ability to step away, his ability to feed his own skepticism, maybe even his own cynicism. And what do we have in the woman? We have complete, utter devotion. She says nothing. She has the courage to crash this party. She has no problems with displaying exactly what she has to say, say through her tears, through her veneration, through the anointing of oil. She is committed. She is engaged. There's no part of her that she's left uh, to the side. She doesn't have to talk about it. She's just weeping, cleaning, and anointing. There's a great challenge for us in this chasm between Simon the Pharisee and this woman, a known sinner. How do we engage Jesus? Cool, calm, relaxed? Maybe we'll honk for Jesus, which is okay. But it doesn't really require much besides bumping on your the car horn. Simon can say, I've invited Jesus to the party. I want to know him. I want to have interesting conversations. I'm, uh, you know, he's in the mix. The woman, she's pretty extreme. She's a little maybe crazy. She might, if she had crashed our party, might make us very uncomfortable. We would probably shrink at her courage. We might be a little uh, off-put. Something's wrong. There's tears. Maybe that's the Anglo in me. Just, okay, there's emotions now. What do I do? There's a reason why this gospel is appointed for St. Mary of Egypt. You want to talk about extreme. Let's just be honest. A little bit weird for our day and age. A woman, a known sinner, one who's been on her own since childhood, who has embraced every possible extremity, who in all of that extremity also had an extreme encounter with our Lord and an extreme reaction. Not just a reaction, but a planned obedience and fulfillment Jesus was not there to have an interesting conversation with or to be, you know, kind of brought out as a party piece to maybe figure out, okay, I've counted all the costs and, you know, okay, I'll commit. Yeah, I guess he's Lord. St. Mary of Egypt spends years and years and years in asceticism, in tears in the desert, 
repenting for the life that she had lived before. Let's also be a little honest and frank with ourselves. If we, especially as many of us, came to orthodoxy from without, we didn't grow up in orthodoxy. Orthodoxy can be a little weird. I mean, how many times have you been asked, orthodox, does that mean you're Jewish? Does that mean you're some kind of Catholic? Or do you believe in Jesus? I, what is this? I don't even know what this is. Beyond that, just kind of, we'll kind of fly under the radar here in the United States. Less and less so, I think, because of the internet. We also have a lot of services. Just this service this morning will probably last around two hours. That's with hours and the post-communion prayers and how long I'm going to go on and on. <laughs> Joseph even thought that was funny. <laughs> But Orthodoxy just doesn't ask us to do Sunday morning. It asks for Saturday evening. It asks for vigils of feasts. It asks for great feasts. And then there's other ways in which it asks us. It asks us, as we have been doing this Lent, to fast, to tithe, or to give alms, to come to confession, the vulnerability of that. So it asks us not only a path of holiness for us that has to do with our mind. It's not just what we think and what we can talk about and have interesting conversations about. It embraces our body. It asks us to do prostrations. It asks us to mind what's in our kitchen and what we do with our money, what we place our desires on, what we do with our schedule, what we do with, let's just be honest, orthodoxy. Because of the example of someone like St. Mary of Egypt in the tradition, asks of us everything. Now this can be a little weird, it can be a little extreme. It cannot look like all the different churches that dot this turnpike. But coming into orthodoxy, basting in the tradition, basting, I use that, you know, the seasoning, let it seeping into us, it's something that a lot of us, especially in the 21st century, where most uh, churches ask of us just Sunday morning for about an hour, maybe an hour. But Orthodoxy says, okay, here's this, and then there's this, and then there's this, and then there's this, and you say, okay, I don't know about that. Where are we? Are we Simon the Pharisee, or are we the woman with the known sin? What do we put before us as our example? What do we think is a little bit extreme and weird, but the church seems to laud, to put before us as a great example? Now there's wisdom in all of this. This doesn't mean, therefore, we all need to go out for decades into the desert. But the church does provide for us our own deserts, our own ways to be conformed to the image of Christ. This Lenten period, these saints who challenge us, these particular practices that we have that may challenge us, like confession. Orthodoxy can be weird, it can be extreme if you're used to a lot of 21st century Christianity. But it's not just a conversation, it's not just having a party and having Jesus over. This is tears. 
This is the cleaning of that tears with our own hair. This is anointing his feet with the oil that we have brought. Because the major difference between Simon the Pharisee and this woman is that Simon was supposed to do this. This is what you did in that time. This is how you produced hospitality. And what you have is the woman whose known sin is the one who comes into someone else's house and she actually is hospitable to our Lord, not Simon. Extravagant, intense devotion, time-consuming, courageous, challenging, maybe even awkward, maybe even a little maybe cautious about it. But this was the woman with the known sin, and this was her embrace of our Lord. Tears, cleaning, oil to anoint, to embrace, to welcome Jesus. This is what the path of the church sets before us. This is what, especially, the example of St. Mary of Egypt in this last Sunday of Lent, as we're all probably changing our gears, changing it down, thinking about already maybe the Paschal lamb or the Paschal steak. But we have Holy Week before us. We have a time where we can, in a great imitation, because the church provides for us this space, this time, this devotion, for us, not something we have to make up, but something given to us, a great gift of Holy Week, so that we can imitate as much as possible within our power the woman with the known sin and our great saint and the one who intercedes for us to bring us into complete embrace of our Lord, St. Mary of Egypt. Through the prayers of St. Mary of Egypt, O Christ our God, have mercy upon us and save us. Amen. Amen.